Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami, and I'm glad you've chosen today to tune into our podcast as we continue part three of our Rewired Worship series and look at worshiping in spirit and in truth. I hope this makes an impact in your life. Enjoy. Now, I don't want to be just another church having services having worship, having a sermon and going home and eating lunch somewhere. I don't want to just do that. I want to be something that's different. And I remember sitting before we ever came over here, I, I used to, we had a, a youth room about, well, it was, it was a nice size room. I was, I was a youth pastor before getting here. I remember sitting in a, uh, in a large room of, when I was a youth pastor and praying about coming here to Miami. And, uh, very clearly, God gave me these three words, equip or engage, encounter, equip. And uh, I remember so clearly after we got here why he gave me those words. And that's centered around our vision, our mission as a church. And this idea that we've got a people. Think about this. The Bible says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And so we have a bunch of people, whether they've been exposed to church or not, that are longing to be reengaged back to the knowing of God. He knew us before we were ever born. We, we walked with him and we talked with him and we, we knew of him. Now, when we're born, of course, we don't remember any of that. But I believe in our longing heart, in our everybody's heart has this desire to seek after the things of God, to, to find some sense of meaning and connection with their creator. And that's what this engages. We're here to engage people back to the heart of God. And, and uh, again, we could have lived a life serving him. We could have fallen away. We could have just not been involved in his church, his bride. But this engage, this idea that he has engaged us, he wants to engage us back to his heart. And then as we come into these places together corporately, as we experience Jesus in our lives on our own, in our, in our personal walk, as we come together in many ways, we can find out that he wants to be encountered by us and we want to encounter him. And he's a God, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And if we can taste and see, then we must be able to physically experience him. The Old Testament is as God was delivering the Israelites out of Egypt's bondage, they discovered that they could follow him as a cloud by day and a fire by night. That fire is considered a Shekinah, a real manifest, tangible presence of God. And so we know that in today's world, there's a, there's a people that are desperately hungry to encounter the living God in a tangible way. And that's why we've got encounter up here. And then how, how on earth can we move forward and serve and discover our spiritual gifts if we're not equipped? And so as we are engaged back to the heart of God, as we are encountering him on a daily basis, and I pray that through what we're doing here at Word of Life, you would be equipped to serve God, to serve people, and to make a difference in our communities. So I think it's important that we remind ourselves of that every time we get together as to why we're here and let it encourage us and spur us to do something the rest of the week, the Mondays and the Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays. When we're not encountering each other, encountering God, we can still encounter ourselves encountering God. Amen? So I want to continue on in Rewired Worship Part 3, Spirit and in Truth. Now, to start things off, we, we initially came together and we, we discovered that mankind, for the most part, has trained mechanisms, right? We understand that, that we do things based on our culture, based on our family. If you hang around me very long, you'll discover that a lot of my mannerisms are based on just being around my dad all the time uh, growing up. And then 
and I can't help it, gen- genetics probably had something to do with that as well. But we discovered that in worship, sometimes we've come into this place and we've, we've developed a preconceived idea of what worship needs to look like. And so we respond this way to this song and that way to this song. And we know when this song says this, we need to do that. And we've, we're doing it through routine and we've lost any kind of sense of true engagement to the presence of God. We've lost this innate part of us, this in, internal part of us that is crying out in desperation that, listen, naturally knows how to praise God naturally knows how to worship God. And we want to tap back into that ability that God has put within us to worship him that that goes back to the very beginning. And so that was part one. And then we moved into part two and we got our tail ends clobbered when I asked the question, is he Lord or is he rabbi? And we had to confront some things in our own personal lives, understanding that as we worship God, he takes us to a deeper place where he's able to cut on us and work on us and, and make things uh, so much uh, deeper within us and and this lordship the word lordship came up and we discussed and discovered that he wants to be our lord in every aspect of our lives and that's played out through our worship but today i want to talk for a little while and 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 i i don't know how i'm going to do at keeping this short so just bear with me i will keep it where you can stay with us and not zone out but uh we want to look at spirit and truth Uh, spirit and in truth. And you see, we're going to start off this morning looking at some things about the Davidic idea of worship, that that worship does take place in a corporate setting within a temple uh, outside of our personal walks. Now, we we understand that we need to have a personal connection with God, but there's this corporate encounter with the presence of God that goes all the way back to David as he brought the ark back into the the city of um, Jerusalem drew a blank there, Jerusalem, and and how he got a little crazy in his worship there. But going on further in time, you see David established the proper place for the the Ark of the Covenant, which was the very presence of God. It signified the very presence of God. But we also understand because of the life that David had lived through war and through through some things that God had set it up so his son Solomon would build the temple. David raised the funds, his son built the temple. The very structure in which the Ark would be uh, housed and this imagine this glorious this grand temple that the bible goes into great description as to the materials that were used in it and this isn't just some uh, metal building with drywall and white walls this was adorned with gold and with jewels and with all kinds of precious metals and stones and it was beautiful and it was glorious and it was grand and it was meant not to be impressive to man but to give uh, the proper due the proper um, reverence to the god that would be housed within that. You see, there had to be a temple to house the presence of God. Then I'm so thankful that today we are the temples that house the presence of God. And it it goes all the way back to this type and shadow and this picture that we see of Jesus uh, through the temple back in Solomon's day. And I want to start by looking at Second Chronicles chapter 7. And we've got this this temple. It's been built. It's glorious. It's beautiful. It's amazing. They've placed the ark in the place and the, the, the priests have said this prayer. Solomon has led the grand assembly in a great tremendous prayer of dedication to the temple. And listen to this in, in verse one of chapter seven. It says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, as soon as we've got this reconciliation within us that God likes to do things suddenly. We find that in the second chapter of Acts when it says they were all in one accord, all 120 of them in an upper room, and suddenly, 
and suddenly. So I've got this visual in my mind that as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, it says fire came down from heaven and it consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And this consumption that takes place, we think of a fire consuming like a fire pit and we look out and the logs are glowing and there's full flames everywhere and that's consuming. But this idea of consumption has to do with fully immersing and taking within. It's like he took it and he consumed it. It was an instantaneous thing. It didn't take time to burn out. It's a time of eating. When I get hungry and I consume something, it was there and then it wasn't on my plate, right? And so this is the same kind of thing. This is a, a, a connotation of eating, so to speak, as, as God consumes the burnt offering and the sacrifices with his fire. And then it goes on to say, and the glory of the Lord filled this temple. So imagine we've got an Old Testament pier with a picture here with a physical structure being being established and, and dedicated unto the works of God, but we're describing you and I right here. And we come into this pray, place, and oftentimes I would agree, I hope you would agree with me that it is a sacrifice. That we come in and sometimes it's difficult to engage into the heart of God. It's difficult to enter into worship. It's difficult to, to get past our, uh, the, the week before us and the circumstances. It's difficult to deal with the stresses sometimes. And so when we come in, we have to physically engage ourselves and sacrifice what's going on behind us into the presence of God. And so as we come in and we bring a sacrifice of praise, then our Heavenly Father, our good God, the one that's already engaged us in this place, the one that's already established His presence because it's promised where two or more are gathered in my midst, I will be there. He says, when you come into this place, I'm going to promise you my presence. If you give me your sacrifice, I will consume you. I want this morning to be a man that is consumed by the fire of God. I want people to look upon us, look upon you, look upon me and say, that is a man that has encountered something that I haven't had and I want to be part of it. I want to engage in that. I want to have some kind of an encounter with God that is like fire falling from heaven. And then his glory. Imagine his glory filling this place. And not just something we talk about. And it's not a feeling. It's not goosebumps or or butterflies in our stomach. This is a tangible encounter with the very presence of God. And it fills the temple. And it says, and the priests, listen to how thick this is. The presence of God was so incredible. Verse 2 says, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord. Because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worshiped and they gave thanks. You see the natural expression of what happens when the glory of the Lord fills this place. When his glory consumes this place and fills this place, there's this natural thing that happens with us that we cannot help but worship. We cannot help but give thanks. And it's directly to the Lord. And they said in here, for he, the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. So getting this in place and understanding there was worship and thanks. Psalm 100 verses 1 through 5 is the entire chapter gives us a great picture of what happens when this, ha- when this takes place. What happens When we begin to worship and give thanks in this dedication, the glory of the Lord filled the temple and they worshiped and gave thanks. But what happens if we are in this place and we want to see his glory fill this place and it's not happening just yet? Well, Psalm 100 gives us a picture of what happens and it says a psalm for giving thanks. 
Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, the, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And look at verse 4. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with Praise. There's a word there. I'm going to get to that, tehillah, in just a little bit. And that's not tequila. That's tehillah or tehillah or to whatever. But we're going to look at that word in just a little minute. But it it goes on to say, give thanks to him. Bless his name. I'll give you a precursor to what's happening here. This isn't just coming in and saying, God, you're good. You're awesome. I worship you. But this word tehillah has to do with some form of exuberant expression. Hang with me there for that just a minute. And then verse 5 says, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness is to all generations. So I want to look at seven ways this morning we worship God in spirit and truth. Seven ways we worship him in spirit and in truth. Now we've got to understand some things before we can jump into the how, and that's the who. John 4, 23 says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This is what we've been talking about the last several weeks is becoming true worshipers, not worshiping out of a trained mechanism, not worshiping out of uh, what other people are expecting of us, but worshiping from this desire to personally seek after the heart of God. It says when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. You see, as believers, we're called to worship God in spirit and truth, not just to sing songs, not to just lift our hands, but to find this engagement. I say that word a lot this morning, engagement with the heart of God in a spirit of truth. But you may look at this and think, if God wants to engage with me in spirit and in truth on a daily basis or Or whatever. I know we can try to set up the stage in this setting for that, but how can I worship Him daily? How can I worship Him at home? How can I worship Him wherever I am? These are things that sometimes I struggle with. I'll I'll just be real with you. Sometimes it's just easier to come into this corporate setting where there's great, well, there's music. I won't call it, well, the band's really good, but that's about the extent of it. But we've got this this worship music that's going on, and, and I want to stress wholeheartedly that worship isn't just singing songs in this place but when we get into here and we we find it sometimes easier how do I find that some kind of encounter that some kind of connection that touch with the living God when I'm not around where somebody has set the stage for that to happen well the important thing to understand is you can and it's an exercise it's like a muscle Worship is a muscle, and I love that sometimes, like when we started this morning off, I didn't start with any kind of song. I was just, I was, I was moved in a place where I felt like we needed to try to just exercise a little bit, exercise a muscle of worship, and that's what we did. We discovered that in Atlanta this last two weeks ago about exercising our worship muscle. I know there's not such a thing, but it just seems to make sense, but we've got to understand that this is a spiritual exercise, and it's for any believer to try, and you've got to start somewhere. Right? You've got to start somewhere. And I think it starts with understanding who Jesus is. It starts with an understanding of what he's done for us and where he's taken us from and how he's delivered us. 
We know that worship played a vital role in the Israelites' life. The very first encounter that they had on the, in the promised land dealt with the battle, but it was made victorious through worship. We find that in Joshua 6. It's as instrumental as Paul and Silas when they were released in prison uh, from prison in Acts chapter 16. If we remember the story, they've gone into a region and, and they've cast out a demon within this uh, fortune-telling demonic woman. And the owners, she was a slave, and the owner that they did this to all of a sudden saw their ability to make money disappear. And they brought against uh, Paul and Silas some false accusations, and they were thrown in prison. They were shackled. They were in chains. But they sat there in prison, and they began to worship. They began, the Bible says, to sing hymns. They began to rehearse songs, and they began to sing new songs. All of a sudden, the presence of God filled that place in such a tangible way that they were completely set free. Makes me wonder if when we worship God, is it easier to worship Him when life and things are going great? But the picture here is we've got a God that wants to be worshipped even when things are difficult. And it's amazing how He delivers us when things are difficult. See, we're going to study this word praise for a little bit, this thanksgiving and praise towards God. And it, it's been revealed through people for, or in 150 psalms. It's repeatedly allowed them to express their nagging fears, their miraculous feats, and the enduring faith of Him. I will tell you this morning that as we really seek after the heart of God in worship, it builds our faith as well. So I've got just some examples of worshiping God in truth. John 4.23 gives us a picture that the first thing in understanding how to worship him is recognizing who we worship. Again, we read that just a minute ago when we talked about worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And when we worship in truth, we don't worship empty philosophies that come from the world's way of thinking. Colossians 2.8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elements, elemental spirits, of this world and not according to Christ. I'd like to read it more clearly in God's word translation, get it down to my third grade level, my third grade reading capacity. It says, be careful not to let anyone rob you of this faith through a shallow, misleading philosophy. Seek a person such, sorry, such, this is scribbled on here. Such a person follows human tradition and the world's way of doing things rather than following Christ. This is truth. Just one chapter over, Colossians 3 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. How? With thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It says, whatever you do, you see, we've got this idea that we can worship God in everything that we do. We can worship Him through our work. We can worship Him through our families. We can worship Him through the menial tasks that we have to do. We can worship Him even in doing laundry and dishes. Whatever we do. We can worship Him. But when we worship God, we also have to be faced with this idea that we don't think like He thinks. And the more we spend time with Him, that does 
happen to transform us and we begin to think more clearly like him. Isaiah 55, 8 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways. You know, so it's not enough to know about the truth. We must know the truth. How do we know him? Very, very, very practical. His Bible, this book right here, is a love letter to us. It's this great story of truth. It's this picture of how God engages his people. It's this picture of how he loves us. Spend time with him. I cannot get to know my wife if I don't spend time with her. You can't get to know your spouses if you don't spend time with her. Your kids, the best thing we can do to get to know somebody is spend time with them. I love this because we have a God that does talk back, and I don't mean in an argumentative way. We can talk with him. He can share his thoughts with us. We can share our thoughts with him. And through this process, our whole transition of thought from ways that are not his ways and thoughts that are not his thoughts become thoughts that are his and ways that are his in a miraculous way. So you're like, you've told me there's going to be seven things. You've told me there's seven ways that we can worship him in spirit and truth. What are they? The Bible does outline seven distinct different ways that we praise God. And I want to look at the first one here, and it's this word Barak. This is the the Hebrew word Barak, and it says to kneel. The, The meaning of this is to kneel, to bless, and to bow down. So we sang this morning, all I will, all I did was bow down. It's this expression of worship that even when we're at home and and having our personal time with God, where we find ourselves in a position where it's necessary to hit the floor, get to our knees, get on our face before God. Psalm 72, 12 through 15 says this. He will rescue the needy person who cries for help and the oppressed person who has no one's help. He will have pity on the poor and needy and he will save the lives of the needy. He will rescue them from the oppression and violence. Their blood will be precious in his sight. May he live long. May the gold from Sheba be given to him. May the people pray for him continually. And here it is. May they praise him all day long. That praise there is this Barak. It's this coming to a place of an all-day praise, but it's more than that. It's this stopping. It's just stopping to consider, stopping to think, stopping to bless our God in bowing down before Him. So that's why we bow in worship. And I'm not teaching these things as they become trained mechanisms, but out of our expression to Him, we will just find ourselves bowing before Him. The next one, number two, halal. This is to be clear, to shine, to boast, to show, to rave, to celebrate. And I love this, to be clamorously foolish. This is what happened to David when he did bring the ark into Jerusalem. First Chronicles 6, 4 says, David appointed the following Levites to lead the people in worship before the ark of the Lord, to invoke the blessings, to give thanks and to praise the Lord God of Israel. And then he went on to describe, to to, to demonstrate as he, according to Michael, his daughter, Michal, his, his not daughter, his wife, he made a fool of himself in the presence of God. Halal appears more than 110 times in the Old Testament. It's where we get our word hallelujah from. 
We sang that this morning. Hallelujah. You have saved me. Just thinking about what he does. Sometimes we need to stop and ask God, what have you done? Maybe not ask him, ask ourselves, what has he done? God, what what has God done for me? Man, he saved me from hell. He's given me heaven on earth. He's such a deliverer. But we need to understand that it's okay to get a little crazy, a little halal for God. The next one is Shavak. That B is a V, just so you know. And I like this one. Most of you spend any time with me, you'll discover that I'm kind of like this. This is to shout loudly and to command. Psalm 106, 47 and 48 says, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your Praise Shavak. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people say, Amen. Praise, as it goes back to Halal, the Lord. When are we going to get a little crazy for Him? When are we going to get a little outspoken? When are we going to get a little loud? When are we going to dem- be dem- demonstrative for our King? You know, the, we could say similarly when it comes to sports. Imagine arenas. I've been to some Arkansas, sorry, football games. I don't know. I'm sure you all been to whatever. But those sporting, those sporting events where the crowd is going nuts. Have you ever been inside in a, during a basketball game where the, the whole place is just so loud you can't even hear yourself think? People are doing this for sports teams. But our God is not a sports team. He's so much, I, I don't even want to try to even say any kind of comparison or, or he's greater than because he is. He is so much more. And yet when we come into these settings like this, sometimes we forget the shavak of God. We forget how to be exuberantly loud, how to remind ourselves of getting carried away in his presence. I love that we can get carried away so much in his presence that the noise begins to raise within this place, even if it's just 12 of us here today. We can, it's okay. We can get a little bit of Shabbat going on. And then we did this today, Tehillah. This is to sing praises as you study in depth, get a little more deep into it. I love it because this is to sing unrehearsed. This is an unplanned praise to the Lord. It's when we sing a song that's written with words up here and that goes away and we continue to sing songs. That is this. This is something that we begin to express through song and through words. And every one of us, whether we can carry a tune or not, are encouraged to do this where we begin to express in tone and in song something that's directly from our hearts. Psalm 23 or 22, uh, verse 3 in the Amplified says, But you are holy, O you who dwell in the holy place. The praises of Israel are offered. That's that word, Tehillah. Psalm 34, 1 says of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, he, so that he drove him out and he went away, I will continue to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
Psalm 62, 2 says, sing to the sing the glory of his name. Give him glorious praise. We're definitely encouraged to to move beyond just the written and express something new to him. Singing a new song. We we understand in uh, I believe it's. Um, it's one of the Pauline epistles. No, anyway, let me see if I put it in here. This is where um, Paul is talking about singing in the spirit and singing in his understanding, praying in the spirit and praying in his understanding. That's the same kind of example of we have right here. It's not Tehillah because we've moved over to the Greek, but we've got an expression of Paul describing the Tehillah that he's got through worship. The next one, we're getting close. Number five, Tauda. You'll have to forgive my Hebrew pronunciations. I am not a total Hebrew scholar. But I love this one because it's, it's just this place of extending hands out. But it's, 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 it's not just surrender. It's thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. So we extend our hands out in thanksgiving for what he has done, or I love this, or for what he will do. Do I told you earlier that when we come together in worship and we begin to praise his name, that it moves us not just to our circumstances that we're in, but we begin to begin to have faith of what he can do in our lives. When we're down, when we're struggling, when we're depressed and discouraged, that if we could bring in the Todah of God into our lives and begin to worship him and our faith then begins to build up. I've heard people time and time again say they battled chronic depression to the point of suicide. And as they began to find themselves understanding there was an issue in their lives, moving into a place of worship that began to deliver them from those tough times and remind them of the future that they have in God. And that is what happens through Tadah. Part of Tadah, they both have similar root words, is Yada, extending the hands, not just like this, but vigorously. I mean, this is when we get, come on, do you see the picture that we've got here? And in 2 Chronicles 20, 21, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising, that's Helal, for his holy splendor. This is what they sang, give thanks. This is this yada. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And these aren't just words on a page. This is revelation to man. This is revelation of God. This is understanding who he is in truth. This only comes when we worship him in spirit and in truth because there are times that we cannot fully engage him if we don't know who in which we are engaging. And when he reveals to him, to us, who he really is, then the expressions that I'm talking about today naturally occur. But we can't help but bow down. We can't help but shout. We can't help but extend our hands in thankfulness and then get a little exuberant with our expression of that. The last one I'm going to talk about today is Zamar. This is to touch strings, to make music with instruments. It's mostly rejoicing. This is what we did and are going to do again here in just a few moments. This is, this is where we don't just verbalize who he is. It's not just a silent bowing. It's so much more. This begins to interject 
into our expression of praise to him and thanksgiving, the musical sides of things. And Psalm 153 through 6 says, Praise him with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and with dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud changing cymbals. Let everything that has breath sing praise to the Lord. Praise to the Lord. Sin, this is to touch strings. It involves rejoicing and making music. So looking at these seven things, we've got, let's just lose the words that aren't English. And let's just look at this. We kneel and we bow. We celebrate foolishly. We shout. We sing a new song. We sing in the spirit. We raise our hands in thanksgiving. We raise them vigorously. and We make music with instruments. So I want us to, for a moment, just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us about these seven things. How we can incorporate them into our personal and corporate worship. We've got to remember that as we do these things, that praising God is to be on our lips. It's to be spoken. Isaiah 57, 19 tells us that. And we're to continually... We're, we are to do it continually as a sacrifice. We see that in Hebrews thirteen fifteen. And I love this. He promises. He doesn't suggest. He doesn't say maybe. It's a promise. It's a guaranteed fact that when we praise and worship him, he inhabits those praises. And we all understand that we live in a world with the enemy. We have enemies. He has been victorious over those things. But we've got to remember in Psalm 8, 2, it tells us to give us that he gives us strength and he defeats our enemies. So we've got some biblical examples of expression of worship. I've seen times of worship where you, you just can't help but make these guttural moans. I don't know how else to describe it when you become so aware of who he is. Words don't describe it, can't describe him. Words can't be expressed, but something just happens within us where the only thing we can do is make some form of a noise before him. But I'm telling you this morning, we've got a God that wants to be praised. He wants to be praised like these things. He wants to see us expressing ourselves to him. Well, I'm not just that. I'm not that kind of person. I just don't like to express myself. I can I can do it from the heart. Listen, if you have a revelation of who Jesus is, there are some things that just happen. I'll tell you that person that's reserved in church isn't reserved at those sporting events and those games. That person that's reserved in church isn't probably reserved when a little baby comes crawling up to them and is like. Why are we so reserved when we come into the presence of God? That's, that's where I'm at today. Why am I so reserved? Now, yeah, I'm, I'm strung up I, uh, to a cord, and I can't move very far, but why on earth am I not a little crazy for him? And so what I want us to do is we're going to sing just a few more songs, and I don't want to force anyone or force anything. I just ask that... As we worship him, we have a revelation of him as we worship him in spirit and in truth. And we allow what he's doing to impact us. We allow our expression to be external. Again, it's not a show. It's just to him.
Let's pray together. Father God, I, uh, I just ask God that you would reveal yourself to every one of us in here. Lord, that we would worship you out of revelation this morning. Revelation of who you are. With a hope for what you're doing. And a need to be part of it in Jesus' name. <laughs> well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, wlmiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.